Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. My name is Matt Love. I'm here with JD Greer. And like I said last week, we got a question this week that I think a lot of people have probably asked. This is from a specific listener submitted this named Jesse. So thank you, Jesse, for sending in this question. And so, JD, a lot of people have seen this phrase when they've read their Bible and they probably were like, what in the world does this mean? So, what does it mean to be poor? in spirit? Well, Jesse, that is a really important question and one that I think a lot of people have, even though they may never articulate it. Yeah. Um, we all love the verse, Matthew 5, 3. If you've grown up in church, you know it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It just I mean, it sounds so poetic and, you know, oh, the poor in spirit and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But I'm just going to be honest with you. When I really tried to get my mind around that verse, I, I, I didn't like it. Let me just put my cards on the table. I've never wanted to be poor in the spirit in anything. I've spent my entire life trying to become anything but poor in the spirit. I guarantee you, you also don't really want to be poor in the spirit. You know, maybe some of you listening had the chance to really grow up poor. I imagine for a lot of you, you'd never been like truly, truly poor, except maybe that window of time when you were in college, when you literally, you know, I, I looked at my daughter's bank account the other day. She's in college. She had 10 cents. <laughs> I texted her. I'm like, hey, do not do anything else in your bank account. Ten cents. <laughs> when you're poor and you have no money, um, you become very helpless. Yeah. Like if she if she needs anything, she's got to come to me. And, you know, when you're poor, you, you it takes away your agency. It takes away your power. It takes away your freedom. Um, you just become very, very dependent. Um, being poor is no fun. It's, it's, it's a scary existence. Um, so... Yeah, I'll just be honest. I've never wanted to be poor in spirit. I wanted to be capable of doing things. I wanted to be able to feel like if there was a challenge, I could overcome it. If there was an opportunity, I could rise to it. I wanted to feel like I could, you know, um, that I was competent. I could take care of myself. I mean, if anything, I want to be middle class in spirit. You know, maybe not rich in spirit, but I want to be a can-do kind of person. And, and and that's just how we're wired as people. We want to be anything but poor in the spirit. Um, so what does it mean to be poor in the spirit? And why did Jesus say it was so important? Um, well, I, I would just say a simple way of thinking about this is being poor in spirit means two things. It means you recognize that you have no worthiness at all in yourself by which you can claim God's blessing. When you come to God, there's literally nothing about yourself, not your past, not your present, not future promises. You can't put anything up there and say, this is what I bring to you as a way of, of saying you should bless me. Um, that's the first component. The second component is that you realize that you have no ability in yourself to obtain God's blessing. If we're talking about being a good husband or a good wife or to be a successful student, a successful Christian, I, I don't have those resources in me. What Jesus said about me, John 15, five is 100% true, that apart from him, I can't do anything. You know, one of the things about that verse is we, we kind of read it and, and, and you sort of say, well, I mean, lots of people who aren't Christians do lots of things. Bill Gates is not a Christian and he's accomplished amazing things. Steve Jobs, you know, all these guys. So, so what did Jesus mean? You know, apart from me, you can't do anything. What he was saying is apart from me, you won't do anything of eternal significance. Apart from me, you have no life. And it's only when I recognize that, that there's nothing in me that by which I can lay hold of God's blessing or there's nothing in me that's able to produce spiritual life in myself or others and people that I love. It's only then that I'm ready to receive the, the kingdom of heaven as a gift. It's only then that you get God's power. God only fills empty hands. And whatever your hands are filled with, with your own capability, your own sense of righteousness and goodness and how good of a parent you can be and how much you can accomplish and you can persuade others to do the right thing. For a long time, I would say the biggest hindrance to my preaching was the sense that I was capable of doing it. 
You know, I could make a good argument. I could stand up. I could, you know, put sentences together. I knew when to add humor. And I, you know, subtly, I, I would never have verbalized this out loud, but subtly I thought I'm capable as a preacher. I'm capable of moving people. And because of that, um, what my audience has often got was JD's power, and it wasn't God's power. Hmm. It was only the poor. It's only the poor in spirit. The, it's only when I recognize that there's nothing about my life that 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 deserves God's blessing. Um, there's nothing about these people that deserves God's blessing. There's nothing about my own abilities that would be able to obtain it. It was only then that I could actually get the power of God into my ministry. That's why we always see God moving His people into positions where where they sense that. It's like God has a strategy throughout the the Bible, both Old and New Testament, of moving his people into a position of helplessness and defeat. One of the easiest examples that I think of and I go to a lot is, is Gideon in Judges chapter 7. Gideon is about to go up against the army of the Midianites, which is, you know, I think 135,000. He's got 32,000. That's what, you know, almost five to one odds. And and so already he's feeling overwhelmed, but but even then, he's kind of like, I think we got a chance. You know, if we if we do this really strategically, we can might be able to overcome. Well, then God appears and, and commands him to take that army of 32,000 down to 300. Okay, so now we've gone from not, you know, five to one. We've gone from, what is that, 500 to one? God is putting him in a place of absolute inability where he has no choice but to, to look to God for his power, and that's when he experiences it. Um, here's one I learned recently in Genesis chapter two. Uh, you know, we know the story of creation where God creates Adam and Eve. And, but what we don't realize is that a part of the original creation, even before there was sin introduced, God wanted man to be in a sense of poverty of spirit where he's depending on the, the goodness and, the, and the, the graciousness of his heavenly father. Here's what I mean. You know, after God has created everything, he, he declares it all good except for one thing, one thing he says is not good. After it's all done, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. God wants to give Adam a wife. Well, here's what's interesting. How did God set that up for Adam? What did he do? Did he, you know, he say, Adam, look, we got a problem, man. You don't have a wife. We need you to go fix it. No, he, he didn't even, you know, acquaint him with the problem and then just fix it himself. God actually took him through a little bit of a process. After God said, it's not good that man should be alone, he then made Adam name all the animals in the garden, and he brought them to, to Adam essentially two by two. And Adam saw that, you know, for Mr. Aardvark, there was a Mrs. Aardvark, and for Mr. <laughs> Billy Goat, there was a Mrs. Billy Goat, and Adam wasn't attracted to any of them, but he, he noticed that, that there was always two and that he didn't have a companion. No companion suitable for him was found. So he created the sense of need. And then what did God do? He made Adam go to sleep another you know posture of need. He's not out fixing things. He's sleeping. And when he wakes up, there is Eve that God has created for him. By the way, ladies, first time that um, Eve appears to Adam, she, you know, he's just woken up from a nap and he's recovering from surgery. That is a needy guy. I and mean, that's when you're at your most needy, when you're just waking up, especially if you've just gone through um, surgery, uh, which Adam had. And, 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 and Adam was learning my needs, my biggest needs are not things that I'm going to go out and obtain for myself. They're things that I'm going to trust God to give to me. That's not a license, of course, for you know just passivity, not doing anything. It's just a recognition that ultimately for all things in my life of value, that that I'm depending on God to give them to me, whether it's through my work, you know, that he is is blessing and using to obtain those things, or whether it's it's something that he gives to me that I I just I don't have any way of providing for myself. Yeah. Um, you see this in the miracles of Jesus. Uh, you know, when Jesus multiplies the five loaves and the two fish, what's the first thing he does? First thing he does, he presents the disciples with a problem they can't 
they can't fix. Jesus doesn't just immediately fix the problem. He's first got to create that poverty of spirit. So he says, why don't you give them something to eat? And so they look around and they try to figure out what they're doing and, and, and they realize we don't have it. That's that feeling of poverty of spirit that then sets him up for a miracle. I often tell people at our church, you know, every single miracle in the life of Jesus started with a problem that a person couldn't fix. Exactly. And what I tell our people in our church is that means if you got a problem nobody can fix, you're a candidate for a miracle. The bad news is no problems, no miracles. And sometimes I'll invite people up at the end of church, be like, why don't you come up here and if you got no problems, come up here, we'll lay your hands on you and, and ask God, give you some problems so that, that then you'll be a candidate for a miracle. God's power, God's riches always start with a problem that you can't fix. And a problem you can't fix is another way of saying poverty of spirit. You got to be poor in spirit. In fact, here's a statement that might sound controversial. Jesus, in one sense, was the neediest person ever to live. He was the, the most poor in spirit. Now, I know you hear that and you say, well, that almost sounds blasphemous to say. Yeah, I, I don't mean that Jesus was sinful. I don't mean that he didn't have capability in himself. But, but notice how Jesus demonstrated dependence on the Father. He would say things like, I can only do what I see my Father doing. It's why Jesus was so often in prayer. I mean, you think about it. Look you know, through the Gospel of Luke especially, how often Jesus is retreating to prayer to be able to obtain the resources of his heavenly Father. Now, again, this is the second person of the Trinity. He had all these things in himself, but, but during his time on earth, he was demonstrating for us by emptying himself of, um, of, of the prerogative of, of tapping into that power all the time. He demonstrated what it meant, what it looked like to, to walk with God in dependence on him, where Jesus would say, I don't do anything except what I see the Father doing, and prayer is going to be my primary resource. That's good. When you capture that sense of neediness like Jesus, then you're going to find that Prayer becomes instinctive to you because you're so poor in the spirit, like my poor college student daughter, you can't get away from your heavenly father who is willing to supply you. A lot of times we think that prayerlessness in our lives is a, a lack of self-discipline. Like I just can't you know, discipline myself to remember to pray you know, daily or, or, or multiple times a day. Um, really, prayerlessness is the fruit of not being poor in the spirit. When you're poor in the spirit, prayer will come naturally. I think of it like breathing. None of you listening to this right now have to be reminded to breathe, right? None of you have accountability partners that text you every 10 minutes like, like, hey man, you breathed yet? Are you still breathing? No, you don't have to be told that because your body craves air. Your body without breath is poor in its ability to have oxygen and live. So your body knows that. So instinctively you breathe. That's what prayer, when Paul says pray without ceasing, he's like pray in a way that just comes out of your recognition of how needy of a person you are, how apart from Jesus you can't do anything and how willing your heavenly father is to give it. You know, when you understand that, you'll start to recognize that just like he did with people of the Old and New Testaments, when he wants to work in your life, one of the first things he'll do is weaken you. He creates a sense of neediness. I mean, God doesn't delight in hurting us. Yeah. But God wants us to trust him. And so often he'll, he'll, he'll reduce the size of our army, so to speak, or he'll, 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 he'll put us in the presence of a problem we can't handle in our marriage with our kids and our finances with an addiction. And you got no choice but to lean on him. You know, when you're, when you're flat on your back, you're, you're going to be looking the right direction. Uh, you know, here's a, here's a statement I heard years ago that um, uh, I love. If dependence is the objective, then weakness becomes an advantage. If dependence is the objective, and it always is, then weakness becomes your advantage. And so God will create moments of weakness so that you will, will, will assume a posture of full dependence on him. Scripture warns us to beware our strengths, not our weaknesses. 
because our strengths are those places where we're most likely to forget God. Our strengths are where we feel rich in the spirit or middle class in the spirit. And that means we'll not be, we'll not have access to the power or the righteousness of the kingdom of heaven. And so A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has first hurt him very deeply. And maybe that's you. Maybe like Gideon, God's allowed you to experience some brokenness or some hurt. He's reduced the size of your army. He's put you in front of an impossible task. And the whole point is that he's saying, if you will ever be poor in spirit, then you're going to experience the power and the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. That's how it's been in my life. If dependence is the objective, then weakness becomes your advantage. Or I couldn't close this without quoting Hudson Taylor, the great missionary out of China. He says this, and I quote, God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold, far better than personal charisma or talent or ability or or straight A's or, or being all American. What he wants you to have is helpless dependence on him. That is the greatest thing God could give you. And it's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So thank God in those places where he puts you Um, in a situation where you can experience that because then you have access to the power and the riches of the kingdom of heaven. All right, thanks, J.D. Super helpful. Um, Again, a lot of times we're reading our Bible and we hit these phrases, hit these words. We don't necessarily know what they mean or they strike us as a little odd. I think it's great to just really dive in and try to understand what does the Bible mean in these, what what is this saying to us and how can we understand it better? So thanks, J.D., for helping us with that. If you want more from Pastor J.D., go to jdgrew.com for more resources. We would also just really appreciate if you would leave us a review and a rating. Uh, That just helps other people find the podcast. So go ahead and leave us a review. Um, leave us a rating on wherever you listen to podcasts and we would really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.